Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am super excited to be here today with uh, a 1997 graduate of our program and the co-founder at uh, Parallel Solutions, Lori Jordan. How are you, Lori? Hi, Brian. I'm so good. It's nice to see you. It's Although so, I guess I hear you not see you so much. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, <laughs> I, you know, I don't think I've ever told our listeners that uh, we actually do it where we can see each other. So we feel so we feel more comfortable. Right. But uh, <laughs> but they won't actually hear us uh, see us. They'll just hear us. But um, I'm so excited to, to be here today with Lori. Lori and I um, even though uh, she preceded me at Cal Poly, we are actually um, pretty close. I'm a 1996 graduate uh, of UNC Chapel Hill, um, but we have um, we've developed a, a strong working relationship. And um, Lori reached out to me and was a part of uh, my advisory board for the uh, More Than a Motto um, Learn by Doing book. And um, I just have a, a debt of gratitude for to her for that. And um, we've stayed in touch over the years and um, just uh, I, I feel like uh, developed a, a good a good friendship and so it's uh, we've been we've been wanting to schedule this for some time so I'm super excited to have you here. I am so excited to be here and I'm excited to talk to all your listeners. Yeah, exactly. We can ha just have some of our coffee shop talks here that's uh, right. here on the airwaves. So uh, that's great. I so, have my coffee here. <laughs> yes, I do too. I still do too. It survived the golf course this morning. I still have a little bit left. Perfect. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk a lot about entrepreneurship and, and your, your journey along those lines, but I, I think it's important to connect, um, pretty particularly for, for prospective students and current students um, to, to go back in time and, and kind of, you know, see what you were like when you were growing up and when you, when you were um, in college. So, so let's, let's start from the top. Where are you, where are you originally from, Lori? Yeah, so I have a very uh, strange childhood as far as where I grew up because I was born in Florida. We lived in D.C. for a little while and then moved to San Diego um, after my parents separated my mom and I and moved up to the Santa Cruz area. And that's kind of where I consider myself to be from because it was my formative years of junior high and high school that I was really there. Right. Um, but I moved around a lot because our family was, you know, in the defense industry in the seventies and eighties, which meant you moved around, you know, to the various places where things like that were happening. So right. not quite a military kid, but somewhere in the middle, I would Got say. Got you. Got you. Well, you yeah. know, um, we we have some parallels there um, <laughs> with uh, in that um, my, my parents my parents um, split when I when I was young as well so there's connection with me and then with um, with Jerusha Jerusha um, her dad was was same thing um, military but was not um, active military was um, was uh, uh, what do you call them contractors or yeah there's or like the private civilian side of it. Yeah, yeah civilian, civilian military or whatever yeah so same thing she moved around out west also um so so santa cruz were you were you a surfer or you, did you get into surfing when you moved to i tried i tried it multiple times and yeah. honestly i think the water was just so cold after having been in san diego <laughs> yeah. so yeah. i was a big boogie boarder and body surfer in san nice. diego and never surfed nice. and then you get to santa cruz and it's like you gotta surf if you're gonna be you know taken seriously. And so I never could <laughs> quite get it, but I love, right. I followed surfing a lot. Like uh, I actually really love surfing. Right. Um, yeah. And now I paddleboard. So I, that's, oh. 
you know, I do that, but I am still not taking the waves, but a friend has convinced me that he thinks he can teach me. So we'll see one day, maybe, maybe it will happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have a friend, I have a friend like that who, who is convinced that he can teach me too. And I'm like, no, you know, um, penguins with their little arms are, are made for the water and they can do it. But me with my penguin arms and not made for the water. Um, I don't even understand how they paddle out. Like every time I try to paddle out, I feel like I'm going backwards. <laughs> oh, I know it's such a different thing, but I will yeah. say that I did on my paddleboard do one little wave break in Avila and it, ah. it reminded me how much I love to feel the power of a wave. Oh, so right. I kind of got excited to maybe at least get a boogie board again and maybe mm-hmm. go out and do that. But Well, Well, you know, I was, when you were saying paddleboarding, I have seen people like surf in on their paddleboards. It seems like that would be really fun Um, because I did do paddleboarding once and really liked it. But, um, so, so your, your, your dad was, um, uh, in the, in, uh, contractor in the military or or civilian military. What about your mom? Well, my both. So my dad was actually working for the companies that produced um, defense stuff for the government. So um, he designed planes. He worked at, um, well, he worked at all kinds of places. Um, Eggers Air Force Base was Florida, but then the Pentagon was DC and then General Mm -hmm. Dynamics and UTC was San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, And he started at Hughes in LA and kind of made his way east. Gotcha. came back. My mom, um, she actually worked for IBM for a while. Then she moved oh, to the wow. Florida Boca Raton area for IBM. Oh. Then she met my dad. They ended up moving up to um, near the Air Force Base. And she, at that point, took on jobs of creating testing profiles for the smart missile program. Oh, so wow. she was te- creating the tests for all the missiles to have to be flown and tested to see what they would do. And then when they moved up to DC, by that time, she had had kids. And so she was doing contract work um, as a consultant for that mm. type of work um, out of DC. Wow. And once we went to San Diego, she wasn't really working much until we moved back to Santa Cruz. And then she actually went the accounting route once we moved up to Santa Cruz. So she kind of oh, had okay. a varied career okay. as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so we established that you weren't, weren't a surfer. Did you get into, were you into sports and in, in high school, middle school or were arts, yeah, so- drama, what? So I, well, I grew up playing fast pitch softball as a kid. Um, I stopped playing around age like 11 or 12. And then um, I did some track. So I did track and field, but I was mostly, I liked the field more than the track. So I actually was doing high jumping and long jumping uh, in junior high. And then in high, I worked in high school. So I ended up not having as much time to put towards after school sports, but I had lots of friends who were in sports. So I went to a lot of the sporting meets and things like that, but I wasn't as involved in it, you know, actively, I would say. I always got asked to be on the basketball team or volleyball team because I'm six foot tall. So Uh no one can see me, but um, so the coaches would always be like, do you want to be on the team? And the answer was, I love basketball. Um, but I have to work because uh-huh. I, I needed to right. make money to support like my car right. and things like that. I had to pay for that stuff. Right. Well, that's something we don't have in common. I, I was never asked, uh, to be, uh, on the basketball <laughs> team. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, um, now thinking about, um, thinking about uh, college, where, where's, um, was there, was there a connection, a prior connection to Cal Poly? How did you. Well, you there's hear a huge about Cal connection Poly? to Cal Poly. Oh, so yeah? uh, this goes back to my parents. Uh, my dad is a Cal Poly grad, 58. Mm. Uh, my mom, Cal Poly grad, 68. I think I have that right. I know they're 10 years apart. Okay. Um, my dad was aeronautical engineering. He was actually here while it was an all-male school. Right. And I believe that his senior year was the last year it was all 
men. Oh, wow. And my mom, of course, was in that first decade when it started to include women. Right. And my mom was a math major. Oh, wow. um, Here at Cal Poly. So of course, had the Cal Poly DNA going on. Of course, any drive we took up the coast, it's like, well, let's just stop in at Cal Poly. I (laughs) I was, you know, five. Let's see Cal Poly. Let's see Cal Poly. So of course, um, and my dad was actually on the president's council, I believe, for Baker back in the eighties. Oh wow! Too. So okay. Um, so learn yeah. bed doing was in your was in your DNA. Yeah, and anyone in the <laughs> Greek system, I don't know if this is actually uh, you know good or bad or whatever, but my dad was on the founding group for Delta Tau, which was the very first Greek. Oh wow! Uh, system that landed here, and it really wasn't recognized by Cal Poly for some time. And anyone right. who knows Delta Tau knows they're a little bit of the rebel rousers, anyway. But <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> um, it definitely stems from that. But it was really cool. I got to go to a 50 year reunion with them, and it was. And my dad had passed away from that, so I spoke kind of on his behalf. Oh, and I'm it was sorry. so cool to see. No, but it was just really cool to see the Cal Poly. You know, they, everyone was so excited, and all these mm-hmm. now it's people that are married with kids, and they're bringing their kids, and they're so excited to still talk about Cal Poly. So. Yeah. Um, it's kind of in my family, Cal Poly is just kind of a, you know, it's just a, it's a thing that we all kind of do. In fact, I have cousins that have gone here and all that too. So I love it. I love it. You know, I, I talked to so many um, that where, where that's the case, you know, brothers and sisters following each other. And totally. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really pretty awesome. I, I have, um, you know, come to over the last 15 years to really, to really love, uh, really love Cal Poly and what it represents. And, um, so it's, it, that's awesome. Um, so, so once you got here, I, I know you have a unique story. So I want you to, I want you to get a chance to tell that story because obviously as, um, you, you've talked about what, what your mom and dad did and, and their engineering background. So you naturally followed <laughs> in their footsteps, right. And, um, and tried. you started, tried. You tri- yeah, you tried, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you started as an engineer, uh, as you're, you're one of the few, you know, when you, when you get into Cal Poly, uh, um, in the, the college of engineering, we, we don't get a lot to transfer right. into, um, recreation parks and tourism or experience industry management as we, as we're now known. Um, right. but the ones that we get are usually superstars. And so, uh, so that's been, that's been pretty cool, but, um, so talk about that journey and, um, and what that was like. Yeah, so I always loved math and physics and science. Um, in fact, I actually thought I would, might do physics even, but um, I ended up getting into Cal Poly under industrial engineering, which for anyone who doesn't know the engineering programs, industrial engineering is the most tied to business of the engineers. So a lot of times industrial engineers go on to be like product managers or operations people, uh, very engineering you know, mindset, but they understand the business side too. So it crosses over a tiny bit. Right. Um, I was in it. And within, I would say the first two quarters, I kind of started knowing this was not what I really wanted to do um, for my career. And then I didn't know what to do. And I happened to have a job at that point at Cal Poly working with the natural resource management office um, as a student. And of course, at I met at that time we were called rec admin. Um, And so I was in the office meeting all of these professors from all these majors that were part of NRM. And I met, you know, the great Carolyn Shank. And (laughs) really, it's almost like the rest is history. But I remember, I didn't even know that rec admin was a thing. And I had been looking to transfer maybe into the business program at Cal Poly. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even I, I was actually looking at computer science, but realized it was the same problem. I just didn't want to sit doing that all day. Right. 
So I met with Carolyn and I just said, tell me more. This looks super fascinating. Um, if I had heard just the title, I totally would have thought you're all over here playing volleyball all day. Like I need to understand <laughs> what this major is. Yeah. And when she presented it to me, it was, it, it was literally everything I had actually been excited about, which was the big project management, you know, uh -huh. big um, process, big operations, you know, big events. And then right. this kind of goes back into my family, but we're big NCAA March Madness. This is like re literally religion. Like I go up, <laughs> Yeah, my my friends at Cal Poly used to laugh because I would go up to my parents' house for the first weekend of March Madness uh -huh. and not up for Easter. Like even though, and, and awesome. by the way, like totally grew up going to church. Like I would have done it, but it's like that right. was way more important to make sure I was there for that. Right. Um, well, you know, this Tar Heel loves hearing that. Uh, hey, <laughs> and by the way, my stepdad, uh, who has since passed away, also, but he was a huge North Carolina fan. Actually, oh, for the East Coast, like he always kind of picked it. his regions, you know. Uh -huh. So, uh -huh. um, you know, he was actually a Gonzaga fan and so when they finally uh, started doing well which of course he never got to root for them but now he finally gets to uh, or got to um but for the east coast North Carolina was one of his teams so um, very cool <laughs> so there you go um but anyway so I, I remember when she was speaking about it and she started talking about the sports side even of it and I was like oh you mean I could go work for an organization like NCAA you know March Madness either mm -hmm. on that side or the CBS side and I remember her saying yeah that would yes we have graduates that do that that's exactly what they do mm -hmm. so I just came alive. I got so excited. So then it became the process of how do you switch majors at Cal Poly, right? It's right. really hard. Right. And it turned out I had to basically do another two to three quarters of my main, my current major while taking courses in the new major, right. um, which you know, and then you have to keep an average. And now I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't even want to do industrial engineering. How am I going to keep this average keep, up, yeah. right? Right. And now I feel like I'm wasting time. Yeah. And so Carolyn uh, was amazing. And I have to say the head of my industrial engineering at that time, and I wish I could remember her name, actually. The two of them were t just amazing, amazing women in my life. Because what happened is the two of them talked to each other and they helped me develop a schedule that would make any industrial engineering class I took, which I took all the more business project management process oriented classes from then on. Uh -huh. um, even I was taking like 300 level classes when I was only, you know, a sophomore because of this kind of special situation. Right. And the two of them worked out a schedule for me where all of those classes were going to move over and count towards my specialized concentration. Right on. That's and awesome. That was a gift from the heavens. And the thing that's amazing is that I use both majors, I would say, actually, like both of those programs mm -hmm. a lot in my life. So while I thought I was wasting time, it turns out that ended up being a really great combination for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's only because those two people were willing to meet and talk and have the conversation and help this poor student who didn't know what she was doing, actually. Right. Um, she right. just knew she wanted to change and, and they made it possible for me to do it successfully. Right. What about mom and dad, engineers, yeah. uh, <laughs> math, accounting? What did, what did they think about rec ad, man? Well, by then Took my father convincing. had passed away, so he didn't oh, know, oh, but okay. I'm sure Sorry. he would have been supportive. Oh, no, it's I'm, sure. I'm very I'm sure. open about that, but yeah. um, I'm sure he would have been very open, very excited for me to do what I love and be gotcha. successful. And he was gotcha. always, you know, um, I'm sure he would have had some jokes and he was a very, dry, he had very dry humor. So I'm sure he would have <laughs> definitely given me a few jokes, but it, it right. ultimately would have been supportive Good. my mother um i will say and i told her this like i was only 
I wasn't scared to tell her. I just thought, oh my gosh, I've got to sell her on this. Because, <laughs> right. You know, I was going like, to say, you got to have a good selling. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to be like, wait a minute, what are you doing? Right. Right. And I still remember I came home and I told her about it on one of the breaks and she didn't even bat an eye. She was like, good. Okay. How is it happening? What do you need? How do we get, make I this happen? That. And it was so great because um, I just said, I just, I'm not the same. I'm not built the same as Uh like you and, you know, dad and even others in our family. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's great. Like you, you should never waste a moment doing something that is not what you want to do. So you should just move forward. She's like, it'll all work itself out. And really she just said, what do I need? You know, is there anything I need to do to help you basically get the transfer done? She was just awesome about the whole thing. It was great. You had you had your pitch ready. I uh, see. I, I, I didn't. I, I always ask people that, and, and almost almost everyone I talk to, their parents were really supportive. And I think I'm asking them that just because um, to try to deal with my own uh, demons. Because when I called my parents to tell them I was uh, switching to from uh, pre dental to psychology, uh, my stepdad like uh, cursed me out, and I was <laughs> like, "You're a loser. You're, you're throwing your life away." And, oh, and I was gosh. like, and, "And you know, I." I, but but I didn't have a pitch. I didn't have right. a, a strong rationale or anything, you know, and so I couldn't really say anything. Um, but I, I realized, um, I realized afterwards it was just that he just didn't understand psychology and um, right and and didn't really even know what it was, you know. And so, uh, but anyway, well, so that's uh, that's great to hear. So so once you once you made that once you made that transition, mm-hmm. um, can you talk about? Um, can you talk about building your experience and, and what you what you did while you were here at Cal Poly and, and maybe even going into your internship? Um, yeah, what, sure. What like? So um, I got super involved with lots of, you know, extracurricular, especially given the thousand hours, which I think is still a thing. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. I remember hearing the thousand hours and thinking, how am I ever going to get to a thousand hours? Um, and it, <laughs> it turns is so out intimidating. Yeah, it is so intimidating, so intimidating to everyone, but it's really not that much, right? <laughs> yeah, but I remember actually telling my friends who were still in engineering that I had to do this. And they're like, what have you done? Like, you don't have to do any of that stuff over here. And I'm like, I know, but it's going to be super fun. Yeah. Um, so I ended up working actually quite a lot with the uh, Chamber of Morro Bay. Uh, randomly enough, I just did a lot of projects with them, uh, and it was su- really great and super fun. And my senior project ended up being the Harbor Festival um, oh, yeah. down at Morro Bay, and it was when they actually were at a very tumultuous time. They really didn't know if it was going to survive. They weren't sure what people, you know, wanted. They mm really wanted, it was either they had to kind of bust it out or it was kind of, you know, starting to see its last date. So mm-hmm. I ended up going and doing uh, exit interviews with, or exit polls, I should say, at each mm-hmm. end of the Harbor Festival, got about 500 respondents and put together an entire thing to show them the things that people wanted. And, you know, a lot of things that we talked about back in 90, you know, six, 97 with that exit poll right. uh, are still happening today. Yeah, to they really implemented. I love it. I was going to say, oh, yeah. So you were, I was thinking to me, I was like, you must have been part of the original because we ended up doing that for like 20 years (laughs) that's right that's right there was the first one and i had to recruit basically there was a class that came and helped me i think it was 210 uh came and helped me do the exit polls and i had to manage all those people and had to set up their times because it was an all-day thing and Uh i had a little tent and it was really fun (laughs) it was super fun and i learned a lot about uh polling honestly and how you put numbers together and how you you know 
um, take in all that data and actually make decisions, give someone not just the data, but, but mm-hmm. an actual thing from that data that tells them what to do. Yeah, and give. that is a really powerful tool be- that I've used, I would say, through my whole career. Um, yeah. The other things I worked on, one big one was Wildflower. I don't think that's oh, right. really yeah. still a thing, but back well, then well, it was huge. Yeah, you know, Carolyn was, was, so, um, was so involved in it, and, and mm-hmm. we managed the van- um, we managed the volunteers for a number of years, I understand. Yes. yes. And then I guess it just got to be too much. And, um, um, but, um, it's but a lot. yeah, but, but our students over the years have, have stayed involved and, oh, and, and still volunteer. Um, oh, I mean, you know, up until recently, I guess the last couple of years, it hasn't gone off. Like, I, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, right. I don't really know. I, I, think I it's haven't been three track. years. Yeah, I think it's been a while. Back when oh. I was doing it, I was the the first year I was basically helping the PR person. The second mm. year I became the head of the PR team for oh, them. Cool, right? On. Which was so fun, and I actually got to help because it, it, back then it was an Ironman qualifier um, event. Oh, was and it? And so really? it was really big with the media. It was. It was all the pros came. In fact, a lot of the pros love to run that race because it was a harder, um, it, it's a harder half Ironman uh, than some of the others because of the weather at that time and the hills and everything they have to deal with. Uh-huh. So they liked it as a qualifier as they were heading to Kona because Kona's maybe not as hilly, but it's so hot. And so they really love to use that that particular one as a training method. So anyway, so then we had like NBC, you know, sports with all their motorcycle press people, you know, Uh out videotaping. And I remember that was my first experience dealing with media. And I had to somehow, or I didn't know what I was doing, honestly, but I had to somehow get these motorcycles in the right place, getting the right footage, getting the right Right. everything. (laughs) Wow. and it was super fun. And then there, you know, like 800 Cal Poly students were living out in, you know, what they call volunteer <laughs> Island or whatever. And they right. were all out there and we all had to deal with them too. And right, right. it was, but I, being on the kind of core executive, you know, kind of volunteer team was really, really interesting. And I learned a lot about big event planning during that for sure. I bet. I bet. That sounds amazing. I love it. So, yeah. um, so, uh, going out of your college years, heading into your internship and, and, and beyond. Can you talk about that period? Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get to your, um, (laughs) to your, to your entrepreneur years and, um, and, and what, um, but, but I'd like to build towards that. Like what, what got you to that point? Um, uh, so, uh, what those, uh, that, what is about a 10 year period before you, before you really got into to becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, um, that's about right. I, yeah. I think I had about 10, 12 years in the industry before I actually le- leapt out on my own. Yeah. Um, so what happened is I was still at Cal Poly and I had to get an internship. And for me, I really needed a paid internship uh, so I could keep paying my bills. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up working at local radio stations, um, American General Media. And they at that time had KZOZ and KJUG. I think they had just bought KJUG. Uh, and a few others that they uh, kiss FM and mm-hmm. I don't know, there's like a whole handful of them now that they have. Mm-hmm. And I was their promotions director and I basically did that as my internship. And then I kept that job for about another maybe year or so. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened is it just, it was great. I learned a lot about radio, but I also learned that radio was definitely not for me. It was not what I wanted to do. <laughs> right. On. Um, radio is hard. It's a very hard business. It's especially hard now, but back then, you know, yeah. we were watching things happen. Well, Napster was coming on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, all the peer sharing was happening and the music industry, of course, as everyone now knows, we can look back, but you know, it was going through a massive watershed moment and radio was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And I just realized this is not, I, it, this is not going to lead to a career that I'm excited about. It's going to lead yeah. to a lot of frustration. So yeah, seems like um, a really hard business. I, uh, Oh, it's hard know, anyway. Yeah. I know CJ Silas. Do you know CJ? Um, and she's, no. she's told some stories of what she's had to deal with. She's the voice of uh, Cal Poly baseball and has oh, her, has okay. her own, um, has her own sports. She was like one of the very first females with a sports talk show and wow. just, just talking about all of the, um, Oh, all of what she had to, it, to deal with. Um, she has way more stories than me. I got out oh, well before I could have yeah. all the good stories, I think. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. But you saw the writing on the wall, probably. Yeah, um, it's but, interesting uh, when I listen to some of the bigger DJs out there and they talk about their early years and what radio stations look like, even some of the big ones that you think have all this money. And they're really just they're really hard places. I mean, physically and, and mentally, there, it's a lot of work for not a lot of, um, love, I will say, you know, it's, right. it's interesting, but it's a huge right. piece of our media as a, you know, in the media world, but it was my first taste of media. So that was right. interesting. I was going to say that, that, that kind of propelled you over the next like uh, nine to 10 years, I guess. Definitely. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I had friends up in the Bay area and this is, you know, for your listeners who weren't maybe around during this time, but this was when the dot-com boom was happening the first time mm-hmm. around. So the late nineties, yeah. Um, and my friends were all moving up there, even students, you know, people that weren't engineering, you know, and getting these amazing jobs and getting paid a lot of money and getting to just do very cool things and live in San Francisco. And I just thought, you know, this is awesome. And a friend of mine from high school, she's like, Hey, I need a roommate up here. Are you ready to move? And I said, well, I, yeah, but I don't have a job. She said, you don't even need a job. Just move up here. (laughs) She's like, literally you'll get a job. And I said, well, I don't know. And she's like, just come up and let's look at the place and then, you know, we'll work it out. Okay. So that's what I did. And a friend of mine did have a contact at a, um, uh, at a temp agency, basically out of Palo Alto. And so I said, okay, I'm going to come up. I'm going to get some temp jobs. At least I can pay the bills. Mm-hmm. I literally had $800 in my pocket, um, mm-hmm. which I was for me at that time was a lot of money to have saved. And <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> it felt like a lot. It felt like a lot. Yeah, and yeah. But then it didn't feel like a lot really quickly. Uh, and then, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah then I, I remember those days like where, right? where you're like, you go to the ATM, you're like, this thing says I don't have any money. I know I had money last week. Right, right, right. <laughs> Right. It's so funny because the ATMs now they'll give you $10 bills again. And I remember when there, you know, there was, it was like, Oh, I can't take a 20 out, but I can take a 10 out. I can, I, I'm waiting for the next paycheck. You know? Oh my God. We have that. <laughs> we have that in common. I remember moving back home to my parents with $10. I literally had $10 to my oh, name. So and great. it's like a uh, tail between my legs, like eh, college degree, $10. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Well, this was the first time I ever asked my mom for serious money because I did have to get a thousand bucks to put down on the apartment, which I didn't have. Uh-huh. And um, so my mom gave it to me and I said, I'm going to pay you back. And I did pay her back within a, about three months, but I literally w- I re- went up there with nothing. I had no idea. All I knew is everyone I knew going up there was getting these really cool opportunities. So right. why not? You know? Right. And so I did, and I got this 
the temp agency gig. And I went to all these different types of companies, which was really honestly a very unique experience because I got mm-hmm. to see the insides of a lot of different types of companies without having to actually stay there for very long. And then I got to start to whittle down where I thought I wanted to be. And then I got a position at um, Open TV, and uh, we're not going to go, and I'm not going to go through like every company I ever worked at, but right. this one's kind of important because it was really this like leap, really a big step for me. Because in uh-huh. high school, I had worked for a startup my senior year actually as an office, uh, part time office manager. Right. And I remember when they sold to a bigger company, you know, the people who had stock and all that, of course, were psyched. I didn't have any of that. Um, right. But I still remember the CEO of that company handing me a check and and it was for a big amount. I mean, for me, a big amount. It was like yeah. a, maybe a thousand, a couple thousand bucks. Right. Um, but it literally helped me pay for that first six months of, you know, everything I needed at Cal Poly. It was, yeah. it was like almost my first scholarship, but it was my first taste of startup. And then Open yeah. TV was kind of my second taste of it because I got there. I ended up staying full time with them. I transitioned into that. And then I ended up on the product management team doing product marketing. And I was there when we were a little under a hundred people. Um, we grew a little bit, then we went through our, our initial public offering IPO. And I got to see that entire process mm-hmm. of what it means to actually be part of a team that gets you know something to the finish line, then goes public, then your shares are actually worth something. Mm-hmm. And then you know you have, but then you have to keep going. Like now right. you're public, you have to that is a whole other side of the it. business. Yeah. Yeah. And so that really launched my what I would say my um, interest in being part of these smaller companies that can become something bigger or be, you know, either through buying someone buying you or an IPO. But I met the most amazing people, my network from, I still have friends from that time and people in my network that are super strong from that time. And I really enjoyed it. It's, I loved every day of, I got to travel internationally. I had teams I was dealing with in Australia, in France, in London. I mean, it just everywhere. So mm-hmm. it was really an eye opener of what was possible for me. Right. Well, I love it. And, you know, when, when I, when I just look at with all the companies that, that you were, uh, that, that you worked for from, um, from, uh, Vindio to in, in, in Vivio to Yahoo, to movie link to Netflix, um, yeah. you, you know, um, to Paramount pictures all in, all in this, um, all in this digital space, right? right. And all in this. Um, uh, so, so I wonder if you can like maybe group all of those into yes. one and, and um, leading up um, to your founding of Red Staple, which, sure. um, which obviously um, was uh, related, was related as well. And um, uh, so, yeah. so what was that like? I mean, I imagine being um, working for Netflix uh, right. in 2005 before Netflix really, which is kind of funny because um, actually the previous, uh, the, the uh, one of my previous guests uh, just talked about the same thing, working for Netflix in 2013 before wow. they actually went streaming. Um, right. And right. so you, you were, you were 10 years before that. I was when, the when they were launching maybe. Yeah, I was there. Uh, they weren't just launching; they'd been launched for a while, but okay. they were at war with Blockbuster. Um, ah, and actually, that was it was the still Blockbuster it was, war years. Okay. Yeah, it was still unclear <laughs> what was going to happen. Honestly, I mean, we uh-huh. all felt like you know Blockbuster was outdated and antiquated, but you know it wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so my world was so weird because I was always doing something that I could not really explain to my friends um, because <laughs> okay. it was like so on the edge uh-huh. of reality. So I, at MovieLink, you know, MovieLink was basically the first online movie offering and they were trying. 
trying to kind of learn from the mistakes the music industry had made. So it was a conglomerate of five studios, which by the way, it turns out having five studios try and run a company is not such a great idea, but um, (laughs) it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot and I met a lot of cool people, but what we had to do is learn how to actually build an industry of streaming and how are we going to build it in a way that everyone actually still makes money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there were definitely things that went w- right and things that went wrong, but lots mm-hmm. of learnings. And ultimately what happened is movie link got bought by blockbuster um, for not very much, but it was an experiment that really taught everyone in the industry, what streaming could look like. Mm. I went to Netflix before that buyout happened. That buyout happened in 2007 when I was at Paramount. But I, I went to, I had like a leapfrog in a weird way. I went to Netflix. I was only there for about six months. Um, I honestly, I still have people in my network of friends who come from that time. I mean, it's weird mm-hmm. how it was only six months. And yet there are people who are so dear to me. Netflix hires really amazing people. I mean, I, yeah, cool. I will never say a bad word for me. Netflix the culture fit wasn't quite there for me. And so um, while I learned a lot and I got to do very cool things, um, it it wasn't quite a fit. And so that's why I ultimately ended up going back to MovieLink for a while to help them launch the next thing, which led Mm. me to Paramount, basically. Uh So all of those tie together. Um, And what's interesting about Netflix is, you know, that culture stuff they talk about. And Reed Reed Hastings is quite honest about it. It's like, if it's not a fit, we're... no harm, no foul, man. Like, you know, move on, like, just go do the thing that's good for you. Um, But they will also tell you if you're not a culture, I mean, fit, or if you're not right, they're very, very quick to like, say, this is not a working, this is not working out. It it can be harsh for people. Um, But some people really thrive in that too. And so Mm -hmm. I think what they end up with is a really interesting culture of super smart people who really want to do good things and really love a culture that is like that. And so um, and I think just they're so, I love that they're so transparent about it. Like they don't hide away from it. You know, they just tell you, right. this is how we are. Yeah. Um, I remember Reed coming down and introducing himself to all of us, uh, in Beverly Hills and being really clear about that. Cause this is back when the LA office was, we were literally 25 people, um, <laughs> hanging out near, you know, Beverly drive. I was going to say it had to be kind of yeah. small at that point. Uh, right? Like Ted Sarandos was literally down the hallway from me, you know, in uh-huh. his office, just starting to talk about original programming. There was no uh-huh. oranges, the new black or, you know, house of cards or anything on the table at that point. Right. Um, And, but I met these amazingly smart, such great people. And again, some of us were a good fit and some of us weren't, but it's like, we all kind of just had this moment and 2005, they were starting to talk about streaming in 2005, which is why I got hired was to be part of the digital team. Uh Um, And they then put it a little bit, I want to say they put it on hold. Uh, They weren't, they decided not to launch it, Mm -hmm. but then they launched it later, obviously like 2007, 2008, Mm -hmm. um, which was great for them. That's really, they, they really got some things worked out. And so Mm -hmm. when they launched, they were really strong and they were really ready to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually what's funny is while I was working at Paramount, I ended up working on deals with Netflix um, to get them content from Paramount. Oh, you did? Really okay. fun. And it was, yeah, it was oh, all wow. the people I knew. Right, um, right, right. And it was great because I could, it was fun to watch them grow. Um, the only thing I wish is that I'd kept all my stock that I did get for those six months that I worked there. But um, that's <laughs> yeah, a whole other story. I, <laughs> yeah, of course. I, life would be very different for me right now, but uh-huh. that's okay. You know, things happen. But right. anyway, I talk about that because I think it's really important um, for students and people who are just graduating to realize it's okay if a place is actually not a fit. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's mm-hmm. okay to be honest about that. And mm-hmm. it's the thing I learned from that experience was 
the cool thing is I left and there was really, honestly, no one was like, I don't, I don't know of any bitterness there was for me leaving. Like I I still talk to all those people. I talked to them right afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like we were at the Sundance party, they always have up there. And this is, we were small enough that, you know, you still saw Reed and Ted and all those guys. And, and even Reed, he's like, I hear you're leaving. I'm like, yep, I'm leaving. I, it's just, you know, it wasn't, it's no, nothing personal. It's just, I, it's not really, you know, it's just not fitting right for me right now. Right. Um, and, and I may even come back. Like I might decide later that it's a fit, you know, and that can happen right. too, by the way, I've seen that happen many times for people. Right. And he was like, yeah, great. Awesome. Go be awesome, you know, out in the world <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and, and we're always here and it, there was nothing, nothing good or bad about it. It just kind of was what it was. And I think a lot of people, don't realize that that's okay. Not yeah. every culture is a fit. They're all yeah. companies are very different. And, um, and even like teams are different, you know, mm-hmm. like I have friends at different companies that I won't name, but where they say, yeah, it's a hard culture as a whole, but my team is so amazing that mm-hmm. that culture, we have our own culture that mm-hmm. works for us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I love it about, I, I feel like our generation, um, Gen X, uh, kind of ushered, ushered into that, that era of, of understanding that, you, that you don't have to, you know, our, our, our parents, the boomers and, and the, and the greatest generation and all those, it was like 50 years, you, you, you know, you get a gold right. watch and even if, right. you, even if you hate it, you got to have loyalty to your company and, yes. you know, um, and, and that kind of all went out the window with us because I think we saw our generation saw, um, parents, um, you know, in jobs for long periods of time and not liking it. And, um, right. and, and we just said, what, that doesn't make sense. Like, why, why is that? I remember, but I remember we still had all that pressure. You probably had the same pressure. I remember my, my yes. early career being super worried that I had had like five different jobs Yes, yes. You know, over a period of like six years and completely like, that's gonna, they're not gonna hire me, you know? Um, and that's like out the window now, you know? And so, uh, that's yes. great. That's great. Yeah. So, so talk about, um, talk about the entrepreneur years, you know, you yeah, moved so, into Red Staple, tell us all about Red Staple and, and what came next. Yeah. So while I was at Paramount, what happened is Apple started doing a format called um, extras and LPs. And that was basically their attempt to bring the album back. Uh, it started through the albums, the, the idea that we weren't really like, you know, back in the day, we used to get an album and actually read the lyrics and the liner notes. And we knew who the drummers were and we saw yeah. the pictures. And that's made a huge comeback yeah. now. Right. You know? And we listened to the whole album, start yeah. to finish, even with the bad songs. And yeah. Um, you know, now they, they had started, they realized they were kind of killing that experience. So they wanted to bring it back. And so they created Uh this thing called an LP and then the movie side quickly went, Hey, wait, we need to do that for our side too, because we're losing kind of the DVD experience where you get those extras and the director's cut and all that. Uh So they quickly transitioned it to the movie side as well and called it extras. Uh And that was costing a lot of money to do because it was heavy, heavy programming in Java. And Mm -hmm. so it was just to do our entire library at Paramount was going to cost so much money. There's no way we would ever make it back um, on the streaming side. And so I started to see this problem where like just using Paramount as an example, we really wanted to do like, we had the whole John Wayne library and we really wanted to do something with that and work with the John Wayne family and say like, let's make some really cool extras and let's put them on iTunes and make them look amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then 
when you looked at the cost of doing it, it's like each title was going to cost so much money uh-huh. that we could never recoup the cost because of all the programming that had to go on. So I looked at it and uh-huh. said, can we make a tool that actually automates this process a little more, templatizes it, lets uh-huh. designers have an access point where they can actually design around a template and make it look amazing, but it's not so hard for the actual construction and delivery of you know this this extra. So that's right. where Red Staple started because I saw the problem. I finally went and met with some of my Apple people and said, look, are you guys going to build a tool or not? Because if you're not, someone's got to figure it out. Uh-huh. And they basically said, well, we're, we're making the APIs available, but other than that, we're not, you know, we're probably not going to build a tool right now. Okay, great. So what if someone did? Well, yeah, we'd support, you know, we'd be excited about that. They, they'll mm-hmm. never ever partner, but they'll always say like, we'd be excited about that. Right. So right. I basically came home and my husband is, he worked in DVD. He was an engineer at um, Sony Pictures and he understood the environment I was working in. He did both digital and DVD. So he was really, really up to speed on it. And I just said, is this possible? And he's like, well, yeah, anything is possible. I mean, it's like a matter of, do you have enough engineers to kind of build it? And do you have enough money to get you there? Mm-hmm. So I started building out a whole bunch of stuff around it. And I started having meetings and I ultimately even told my team at Paramount, I was working on it. And I stayed at Paramount probably for about six months after I started working on it. And then Mm -hmm. in 2010, around August, I I decided I had to go full-time in it because it needed all the attention I could give it. And so I went out and got um, some angel investment and hired some engineers and we got ourselves to a a minimum viable product. And we did get uh, contracts with some of the major labels uh, on the music side and then some of the Mm -hmm. major studios on the movie side. Uh, and we were building things and we were putting them out and we were working with distribution people to get them onto iTunes in the correct format, which was, and it was really fun working with designers. Um, but you know, honestly, what was happening is just, this is a great lesson and you can be too early, um, to a market. We were too early. Like people weren't ready to do in mass. Um, Mm -hmm. and the music industry was still kind of like, we don't know if it's working or not, you know? So we're kind of testing, which means they're not putting out enough volume for someone like us to actually make the money, the, the margins we really needed to make on like a serious amount of volume. Right. Um, and it was a hard process. It was really, really hard. It wasn't as easy as, you know, just build the template and they will come. It, it was hard to deliver. So right. Red Staple, we ended up moving into eBooks um, to help people. And we still... Um, we still think there's something there again, a little too early to the market for the things that we were starting because we were always like on the edge and uh-huh. it was like these edge cases where we thought people kept saying, yeah, we're going to, we're going to put out, you know, a hundred thousand books this way, but then uh-huh. they would pull back and say, well, we're going to do a thousand and see, you know, we'll test it and see what's going to happen. Right. Um, and then, you know, they just never come back to it basically. Um, so it's been, it was, we learned a lot. Actually, my husband, my husband and I both started it together and had engineers. Yeah. We kind of laugh. We're like, we basically ended up getting our MBA in a way, like through building <laughs> right. it. We, we got right. our startup MBA is what I call it um, right. by running this company. Right. And we finally shut it down in 24, like the end of 2014, uh, oh. early 2015. And the reason was we were getting actually work, but it was starting to look more like an agency where mm. you get these one-offs and they're big projects and they're fun and they're interesting but it wasn't really what our passion was. And especially for uh-huh. my husband as an engineer, he just always wants to be building, you know, new stuff. And he's like, I, d- I don't really want to do the agency thing. I feel like I, I've kind of been there, done that. Uh-huh. He said, but if you want to, you could totally hire people and, and you could build an agency and, and have people do this work. Cause there's plenty of it out there. And, but I was like, I don't want to do it without you. And I also just don't, 
I'm not really into the agency thing either. So we finally made the decision. It was done. So we closed it down. Right. Um, At the same time, I was doing something totally different in the, I'm in, I knit uh, like (laughs) socks and scarves and sweaters. And I built a business around that for my own problem of transportation of knitting while you're actually traveling. Right. That's the company that ended up kind of scaling. And I sold that company in 2015. And then um, that led me to the Cal Poly uh, Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship because I had been a lead mentor over there for some of their students in the accelerator. Right. Well, you know, I, and I, I um, since I, I've known you, one of the things that I, I love about you is that that you you love paying it forward. You love um, you love teaching the next generation and and sharing your knowledge and experience. And so, I imagine that was a a pretty gratifying three years to be able to. To, to give back. And um, obviously I know during that period you had some, um, some, some personal, some personal struggles in, in, um, in beating cancer. And, mm-hmm. um, and, yep. uh, and so uh, can you talk about that, that three-year period and, and what that was like? Definitely. So the interesting thing about that is um, Todd Nelson, who's not there anymore, um, but he at the time was the director. He met me and he just said, you know, we need someone to run our accelerator. The person that was there was leaving. And he's like, I really want it to be you. Like, how do we make this, you know, happen? And I said, well, you know, we need to, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm ready to do that or not. So mm-hmm. ultimately he opened up the job rec. He got, you know, applications. And I finally, like, I think in like the 11th hour, I decided to actually put an application in. Uh-huh. Um, and so I put the application in, I went through the process and you know, I still wasn't sure, honestly, I still was like, okay, if it happened, like if I end up being the best candidate, then I'll, I'm going to take it, but I'm only going to do it for a year. And I still remember telling my husband, I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to do it for a year. I'm going to help build the program and then I'm going to move on. And we're going to pass it to someone else who can like keep building it and running it basically. Right. Right. Well, three years later, you know, I, then I came to the decision to do that, but, um, it was amazing to come into a position at my alma mater Um, you know, being on campus, helping students who really had these innovative ideas actually think through what it means to take that from an idea to, you know, a functioning business. Um, And by the way, like most of them did not make it to that point. But I think every student who went through the process became such a better business, like better for the business side of their career because of it. So like, I still hear from alumni who went through the program who are working at you know, big, small, medium companies Mm -hmm. around the country who say that experience changed the way that I operate. And it has actually helped me with my career trajectory so much because I don't just come in and like do the work. I think about the problem that we're solving. I think about the customer. I think about different things. And, you know, even as an engineer, I think about what I'm building in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is to me huge. And I think it, a lot of people kind of miss that piece of the program. It's like, it's not just, yes, we want people to build companies that are going to, you know, thrive and be wonderful, but there's a huge percentage that don't and are, are still better citizens having gone through it, you know? Yeah, 100%. You know, I, um, I, I, I never really was an entrepreneur, but I, I did have a, a sort of pseudo business that, that ended up failing. And, and, um, and I, I actually, I believe that really, really strongly that even though that happened and that was a negative in my life, that it, I, I grew, I grew from mm-hmm. that experience. And I love, I love hearing you say that because I, I know that, I know that a lot of our students, and I've said this to you that I, I know, I know a lot of them have, um, 
a desire to be entrepreneurs. You know, I think, um, you know, you, you have event planning obviously was, um, was your, was your area when you were, when you were at yep. Cal Poly in, in our, in our program. And, and, um, I think a lot of event planners have an entrepreneurial spirit, right? Because each and every event yes. is like their own, um, it's almost like your own little business, right? That That's right. That That's so that true. Yeah. That you're, that you're, um, bringing, um, that you're putting on. And so, um, and so I, I, I love, I love hearing you say that. That, that um you know even ones that um y- even when you when you, when you don't make it big and the vast majority do not make it big right um you, you learn and you grow and you become a better person and a better professional and that that's a that's a huge thing and i think i think probably the only ones that that um that really struggle is those who don't go into it with that realization like you you got to yeah. you got to have a little bit of that realism and i'm sure you guys I'm sure you guys through the accelerator program, I'm sure you, <laughs> you have stuff that you, you got to chase your dreams, but you also got to be realistic, right? Yes, definitely. And you know, the thing is like, I always say failure is if you're not failing at mm-hmm. some point, you're not actually going far enough out, you know, on a limb to try right. something new. Right. And even if it becomes successful, there are so many stories out there of, you know, really successful companies now that had so many, you know, failures along the way that got them, you know, to that point, or even entrepreneurs who say, yeah, my first three things never worked out. They failed completely miserably, you know, but then I, I learned from them and I came back and did something different and I took my experience, right. And did something different. I think it's really important. And I think also a lot of students going through our program, Uh, I don't know if they would say it this way, but they learn that it's okay to fail, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think so many times, especially in our society now with, um, I think there's such pressure to be perfect all the time. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I get straight A's. I know I have all the perfect pictures on Instagram. I've got all the perfect, you know, stories (laughs) to tell on Medium. Nobody, Mm -hmm. I'm never, ever not perfect. And the reality is, first of all, that's everyone's, you know, I call it like the true Hollywood story of our lives, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reality is the failures where the good stuff happens, actually, a lot of the time, it's where you really learn, you know, who you are, who the people around you are, you know, how you Mm -hmm. want to be as a person, how you want to be as a business person. It it changes you. I think when I think about failures in my life, they were really hard in the moment and they were, but they're also some of the most amazing um, lessons I've learned uh, through my life. So that's what learn by doing is all about, right? Yeah. Like red staple was, you know, I can talk about it now, but let me tell you like CIE, honestly working at CIE and having to tell that story multiple times was actually kind of therapy for me because Uh, it hadn't been that long when I started there that that company had failed and had to be shut down. Uh Well, it didn't, it didn't look the way I wanted it to. And it was hard. It was really hard. And yet I had to tell that story and What's interesting is now that I'm more comfortable with it, I see it as such an inflection point of positive for me, actually. Mm-hmm. Like it, it led me to such amazing things on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much from it. Um, but it was hard. I mean, I was, I still remember the thing that where we knew it was going to not be what it was. And there was a big announcement at a big conference um, by a pretty popular person. Uh, who's literally like in one breath just said, oh, and by the way, we're going to have this and this product. And we knew that was taking us out at the knees uh, <sighs> to be at scale. And it was right. like, 
I still remember that happening. And I had to just, I literally went and got a latte at (laughs) the local coffee shop with my husband. And we went out to Morrow Rock and it happened to be when the big waves were coming in. And I just Mm -hmm. sat there. We probably sat there for two hours and I did not say a word. I just (sighs) had to like take it in and realize that the dream was done. It was over. It was never going to look that way. And I didn't really want any other direction. So it was, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I share that now and I can share it happily right. at the time. It was horrible. Like oh, I didn't want to, sure. you know, yeah, right. so it's just, uh, you get through them and then you realize that you actually have so much more to give by the right. failures. You know, it's really right. easy to be upbeat and awesome during the successes, but can you make it through the failures and actually learn something and bring them back into the positives as you go back up the mountain, you know, right. that's, and right, I'm a hiker, so I always end up putting things in perspective of climbing mountains, you know? Yes, I love it. to the top and... I love it. That's great. Uh, the track back down. <laughs> right, right. So, so let's... Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think... Um, I think your experience, um, you know that I, I was a part of... Um, uh, of your of, of the people who who followed your your, your successful battle and uh, with um yeah in, in defeating cancer and I just um I just admired the um I admired the 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 vigor the honesty the 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 um the um uh you know just just your just everything that that you brought you, you um so Lori Lori had a blog that she shared um with friends while she was battling cancer and um you know it, it makes me tear up just thinking Aww. about it and just thinking about going on that journey with you and um you know uh you were just uh, it, it was uh it, it was quite something to to see someone who you care about um overcoming something um like that. And so I just wonder if you would, you would, um, share a little bit about that experience and, and what that's like. And, yeah, and, you know, you, you talk about, you talk about the fail, you talk about, or we talk about failures in business and, and how learn by doing is, um, and, and failures along those lines, but, but that's, you know, battling and over battling cancer and overcoming cancer is a whole different that's a whole yeah. different level, you know? So, uh, it definitely is like, it, it's one of those things. So yeah. And I, I'm so open about this topic. I talk, yeah. I mean, I have a thing on my LinkedIn about a product I've built out of my, um, you know, experience to help other people going through it. But, um, specifically I went through breast cancer and it was, uh, quite a moment for me, obviously to be told I had it. Um, and then it, I don't know how to explain it, but I had a moment of clarity when I met my team at UCLA, which was, by the way, all women team, which is amazing, um, from the surgeon to the all the oncologists. Um, and I always love to point that out because it's just I, it's so cool. Like I have these amazingly strong women around me again. Yeah. Um, and they made me realize like, you know, this isn't a death sentence. Like we're, you know, here's where you sit here. You know, I was certainly fortunate in that my diagnosis was I was caught early. Um, it was highly treatable. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I just, I was very fortunate that that was my original diagnosis. So I, it was a different, you know, path for me as far as, you know, how hard or how, you know, um, what my ex- expectations were, but because of that, they really, uh, helped me see like, okay, yes, I have to go through this hard period. And it's going to be about a year of, you know, surgeries, and I did have to do chemotherapy, and then radiation, and you're going to go through it. And there's going to be days that you are not going to be happy, and you're going to be really miserable. 
but you know, there's a, there's a light at the end of this tunnel. And I always held on to that. And I think, you know, telling my story to everyone was actually for, it was cathartic in a way for me. And it also allowed people to know, like, I think a lot of times people just see like the pink ribbons and all that. And I'm not against a, you know, pink ribbon. I mean, I'm, I love that they're raising money, but I think they, they see that and it's like, they think one thing and it's like, mm-hmm. well, it's actually a series. It's, it is almost like the entrepreneurship journey. Honestly, it is a mm-hmm. series of like peaks and valleys. Like I would have days mm-hmm. where I was so happy. I would just be oh, so grateful and, mm-hmm. you know, happy and all of that. And I certainly would have days where I'd be like, this is horrible. Like I, this is the worst. <laughs> why am I sitting here? You know, right, right. Um, you know, and I'd have, I'd certainly have this. And I would share that though. I think, I mean, right. I felt like I was, pr- I tried to be really transparent and what I found is people would see me because, you know, I'd still go have coffees with people and all that. And I was working, okay. I was working through it um, at CIE. I was working while I was in treatment right. um, and total shout out to all of the people I worked with who seriously helped me be able to work through it. Right. Um, they were amazing. And, but what was interesting is I had people tell me it's so easy now to like have, cause they've had other friends that went through something like this. And like, you were so transparent. I never felt like when I got to coffee, like I didn't know where you were at and mm-hmm. like, there was nothing that wasn't approachable. Like we could just talk yeah. and it kind of almost in a way, like it evened it out. So there wasn't this big, like looming thing in the room of like, oh, she has cancer. Mm-hmm. We can't, you know, okay. Right. We can't talk about this. It's like, right. no, like this is, I'm still Lori. I'm still doing the things I do. It just so happens that I right. have cancer right now and I'm getting treated for it. And, right. you know, and, and it's a big deal. And I don't think we should say that it's not happening. Like it's happening. Um, but it's also something that's one piece of the life I'm living. Uh-huh. And I'm super grateful for every, you know, I really was grateful for the days that I could, you know, go out and have a coffee with a friend and enjoy it and just, uh-huh. you know, be. Um, I was grateful for the days that my taste would come back before the next chemo round and I could of actually course, like yeah. taste, you know, the, yeah, of <laughs> the course. food I was getting. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it, now it, the thing that's interesting about it is you get through the big treatment, which they call mm-hmm. active treatment. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of, in a way, you almost go off this cliff of like, okay, I don't have to see my doctors, you know, almost every day. And I don't have to go do this and I don't have to do these things. I get to go live my life and you almost have to retrain yourself in a way to like, oh, right. how to live it again. Yeah. To, yeah. How to live without, you know, all these doctor's appointments and this and that. And, um, I just celebrated my three year, like end of active treatments. So I'm about awesome. three and a half years from like being, you know, cancer free. Awesome. And, um, it's, it's kind of amazing because for me, I had to rebuild a lot of things after that. Um, but I had such a support network and I think again, yeah. that is what plays into the same as entrepreneurship. I think, yeah. It's so important to have amazing people around you, right? So like right. I had, you know, people like you and my friend network and I had my family um, and I even had people that I, you know, who, who I didn't think would necessarily show not because it's good or bad. I just, you know, I hadn't seen them in a while and they heard and all of a sudden here they right. were, you know, at the ready, you know, to see, watch my dogs while I had to go to a treat, you know, I mean, just right. stuff like that, that, you yeah. know, wow, like people really showed up for me and it was, it was very emotional, still emotional for me when I think about it, like how many people there for me. Um, And the same is true for my entrepreneurial journey. I would say, honestly, Mm. like it's kind of weird. I can parallel them a little bit where it's Mm -hmm. like, I have these people around me who, you know, have my back, even when it's a hard time, you know, Um, like even like red staple when it was going down, like I had this mentor who was just so there for me. And, um, and the same was true, I think, with going through the breast cancer stuff. And and even now, you know, I still take medicine and I still see my doctors, but um, 
it's pretty interesting to be now three years out of it. And I still remember, like I said, being such a big hiker, I really couldn't hike these big mountains, you know, during that I was right, walking every course. day, but I couldn't like go hike Bishop, you know, right. um, easily. But I remember like conditioning myself back into that spot, you know, where mm. I could at least, you know, do it. And it took a while. It took a good, I'd say year, year and a half to where I was back to where I could like climb, you know, right. I could, I was like, okay, I can do Bishop once a month. Now I can do Bishop you know, <laughs> right. twice a month. Now I can do, <laughs> right. um, and the coolest thing happened is my husband and I, um, we decided to go to Yosemite the last week of October. Um, and we're, we were really safe about it. We had all of our stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but they were doing the permit thing. So there weren't very many people. So I'm like, we have to, like, we'll never see Yosemite like this, you know, again. Yeah, I hope, right, you know, right. I hope, knock on wood. Right. And uh, so we went and it was literally around the three-year anniversary mark of like being done with treatment. Uh-huh. And it was the, we literally hiked every day. We did the four mile hike where it's actually five and a half. Uh, uh-huh. And, but it's like, you know, I, and one day did, you know, a day hike that took me 3,200 feet up, took me 3,200 feet back down over wow. two and a half miles yeah. the day before that, you know, I did, I did all these hikes and I still remember getting to the top of that one. Cause we did a kind of a half hike the day before, and then we did the full day hike the day of, and then we left and did Sentinel mm-hmm. Dome on the way out. Uh-huh. I still remember sitting up there and just being so in awe that, you know, really, Three years later, here I am, you know, taking on, you know, a big hike and feeling good, not feeling like crap, you know, and that's because I had uh, amazing support systems to help me, you know, Mm -hmm. get there. I have my Mm -hmm. hiking buddies who are willing to hike slowly with me and Mm -hmm. the bluffs instead of, you know, Valencia Uh (laughs) and and were willing to, to be there with me, even when it wasn't necessarily the hike they wanted to do, but because they wanted to support me to get back to doing the hikes we all want to do, like that's a big deal. And it's because of all of them and, and just these amazing people around me that I feel like I got to that point. So it's, I love it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like life is good, you know? That's and, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So let's, uh, so, so now we're, 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 we're up to, to your current, to your yeah. current situation. So you're back to being, um, uh, back to being an entrepreneur. You've um, been involved with, um, uh, you know, a startup and Azora was a, was a startup as well. Yeah, right. In the Bay um, area. And then, um, and then now, uh, as the co-founder of, of Parallel Solutions, and um, yes, and so I, I just wonder if you, um, I don't know how much you want to get into that, but um, yeah, you know, life, life in, uh, life in a pandemic as an entrepreneur, <laughs> uh, what's what's that, what's that like? <laughs> well, not predictable. Not but predictable, then again, it never right? is predictable. Um, yeah, right. it's pretty crazy. I left the last startup right as the pandemic was basically kind of starting Mm -hmm. um and everything went into lockdown and i was starting something else and i had a ton of meetings set up across you know san francisco la new york everything gets canceled i mean it's just uh you know and then you start when you're starting a company if you're looking at maybe getting angel investors or investors or even just partnerships and things like that um i had all a lot of things lined up early on and then it became oh well we're just going to, we have to take care of our portfolio companies because we have to make sure they survive this, you know, so that it became, there's no discussion about external investment or external partnerships. Um, We're, we're going completely internal again to everything we just have right now. Mm -hmm. And that made sense. I that's exactly what they should have been doing. Um, But so for us, it became, okay, how heads down are we going to be and how willing are we to just like work through this until we, you know, 
until things start opening up again. And thankfully, I think now that the we're in this like new norm in a way, I, I do see like things are opening up, like we're starting to have discussions again with people. Um, and it, that's great. So it is a weird thing though. And, and every entrepreneur out there will tell you it's very, um, especially in the event planning industry, I have plenty of friends in that industry and, and I'm sure people listening, you know, will have more stories than I will ever have about what's happening right now. But um, it's scary. I mean, it's super scary when you yeah. see your, you know, your monthly revenue projections go from you know, what you normally see to basically almost zero because everybody just cancels, you know, every single thing that you're going to do. Yeah. Um, I do think people are starting to find very creative ways around that. I think um, the one interesting thing about really hard times like a pandemic is super interesting solutions and ideas and innovation yeah. comes out of it. Right. So yeah, for sure, like I have to say there's events I've now attended that have been obviously completely virtual that I never would have um, because I couldn't fit it into my schedule easily or whatever. And now I go to them mm-hmm. um, not only because I can go, but also because they're recording them, I can go see them later. So even if they're, mm-hmm. if I have to pay for it, like I'm actually happy to pay a little bit you know, mm-hmm. or whatever the number is. But if it's mm-hmm. something that's really meaningful to me, because now I know that I'm actually going to get to see it whenever I have time. So if I miss someone's talk or I miss someone's, you know, um, conference slate that they had, yeah. I'm going to see that on the other side. So yeah. it's, I think that there's some interesting innovation coming out right now that we never would have had, or at least yeah. we wouldn't have had as quickly. Um, right. And so for that, you know, I feel like there's kind of this interesting opportunity to see where do we land on the other side, what things stay, mm-hmm. what things go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think this idea, yeah, right. Like, I think this idea that you only get conference stuff in person. I think I- I'm totally interested to see where that goes because yeah. there's a whole bunch of people I know that are like, oh, I'm so stoked that I can finally go to this. Con- I can actually finally see these speakers because um, yeah. it always it was always on top of this other conference I have to be at, uh-huh. but I always wanted to go. Now it's like, oh, well, you kind of can go right. um, you know, virtually and you can get all the information and you're willing to pay for it. So I just wonder what, th- what it's all going to shake out like. But um, yeah. Certainly, it, the first um, few months of this were very, very scary. I mean, we almost wondered, are we even going to try and launch with this new company this year? Yeah. We might even put it off until next year or even 2022 and just kind of, yeah. you know, go try and just keep ourselves afloat until mm-hmm. we feel like the market's ready. Um, but every time I tried to kind of shelve it, something would happen that would bring it back. So it's right, like, well, right, right. I guess we're going to keep working on it until, uh, right, right. <laughs> until the world tells us we're not. So, right. um, yeah. And interestingly enough, kind of the story I was telling about my experience in healthcare that it led to parallel actually being born. Um, right. I was going to say, yeah. So your experience is informed informed yeah. that, correct? Yes, definitely. Because what parallel solutions, what we're really focused on is, bringing much better evaluations to both doctor and patient. So right Mm -hmm. now, when a patient goes to look for a doctor, many times they'll end up maybe on the, like, let's say they're going to a big hospital, like, you know, Stanford or UCLA or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, MD Anderson, they'll go to their website and they'll look at some things. And a lot of times there'll be like these five-star reviews and they really end up not meaning anything because if if you start to dig into them, it's like, 
five star with no comment or one star. Uh, they didn't give me penicillin for the cold I had. Well, they're not going to give you penicillin for the cold you have. So <laughs> right, it's, right. you know, and it's becoming a big problem in doctors. Yeah. Um, there's actually cases now I've seen, especially out of the East coast. I don't know why it's prevalent as prevalent there, but um, where doctors are starting to have to sue patients for defamation because they're putting out these weird reviews on Yelp and Google, um, you know, uh, Google five stars and all that. They're, they're putting out these reviews that are defaming the doctor for things that are scientifically like not, they're not supposed oh, to Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's super yeah. weird. It's a, and it creates such a bad health environment, you know, yeah. and I started talking to my doctors about it. I just kind of, I started asking them, how do people find you? Right. And they said, well, word of mouth, but then sometimes they come to the website or sometimes they end up on Yelp, you know, which seems we. Why are we using Yelp where it's like we're looking for our next lunch, you know, location for the doctor who's going to like potentially save our lives. But um, so it turns out I thought it was kind of a smaller project. But as we've dug in, it turns out this is a huge problem across the healthcare system. And so um, I just kept talking to people about it. And all of them said, you know, we want the thing is they it's kind of like experience industry management, honestly. So like yeah. in healthcare, they're like, we, we really care about the patient's experience. And I can tell yeah. you from my own thing, like they were very much about how is the experience for you? Right. Um, they want there to be the ability for a patient to see what the doctor is like, like who they mm-hmm. are going to be meeting with, what their mm-hmm. practice is like, what their, you know, even d- things like, do mm-hmm. they get you in and out really fast? Like there's times that people do want a doctor that's like, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to, meet with you. You're going to be in and out in 15 minutes. We're going to be on time, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but there's other situations where you don't want that. Right. And so we started thinking through it more as instead of a rating system, you know, let's offer up information about a doctor uh-huh. um, from a patient's evaluation where no answer is actually right or wrong or good or bad. Right. It just kind of is. So it's like, you know, this doctor is, you know, more direct, Um, they're going to tell you everything you want to know about the science behind it. Mm -hmm. This doctor, you know, won't do that as much. They're going to be more, you know, let maybe a little bit less into the scientific weeds of things, but they're going to give you kind of the step-by-step plan that you need to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because like, I wanted all the science. I was like, I want to know everything. Like, tell me, go down to the, you know, cellular level. I want to know. That engineering background there. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a friend that went through it and she was like, I don't want to know any of that. I don't want to know that. I just want them (laughs) to tell me what to do. I want to show up. I want to like, you know, I'm going to do everything they say. I know they're amazing. And I found that to be really interesting because that's, again, it's not good or bad, right? It's like for her, that put her more at ease. For me, I was more at ease knowing every, all the things like Mm -hmm. that that went down deep. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's about patient experience. And I think um, this starting point is, can we somehow match people to doctors that match kind of who, what they're looking for in an experience before they get there? Um, one, save time two save money and three, have a much better experience on both sides of the table, which absolutely affects your care. I mean, it's being proven scientifically now, you know, stress is a number one problem in medicine and, Mm -hmm. um, it can lead to poor, you know, recovery rates and Mm -hmm. poor outcomes. And, um, so the less stress you can have in a patient atmosphere, the better, Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And well, so you, I, you know, you and I talked about it a little bit since I, I've had my own health issues and um, you and I talked a little bit about this and I, I talked to you about 
the negative experiences that that I've had, and I'm, I, I think that this is just, uh, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's um, anything we can do to to enhance the experience. And I do know that, I do know that hospitals are are trying to absolutely trying to do that, and healthcare and doctors mm-hmm. are are trying to enhance the experience. So I love what you're doing and and trying to, to 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 make that a better experience. And um, you know, it's uh, it, it's so true. You know, I, t- I think I told you that story of my friend who was studying to be a nurse, and I said something about how people's mental people's mental health and, and optimism and, and that, that um, positivity, how important that is. And she looked at me and she's like, you're crazy. That's doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with it. And I was like, what? Like, really, you're going into nursing and you don't think that has anything to do with it? Like, that's, yeah, that's kind of scary to me. <laughs> like, like, seriously, like if yeah. I'm sitting there in, in, in dread and, right. and, and listening to the person next door to me, like, literally moaning a death moan all night and right. <laughs> and right, can't right. see the and can't see the sun because I'm in a um I'm in the middle uh with a curtain in between me and the and the yeah. <laughs> and, and light you know at a six bit with at a hospital with a six billion dollar endowment right maybe my experience and maybe my stress might not be a healing type of uh <laughs> yeah a vibe, I mean, it's you such know? a big deal and <laughs> yeah. it's on both sides too yep. the interesting yep. thing is you know if your doctor is stressed you know i mean like is you know if they're uh, the thing we talk about is like if a doctor is worried about the rating you're going to give them after this experience while they're <laughs> right. meeting with you you're already in a bad place i yep. mean it's like that's not great it's not good for anybody and right. so there's better ways for both sides to get the yep. information they need and sure. present it to um each side so we're excited about it yeah. and yeah. um it turns out that we're, as we talk to some medical facilities they're excited about it too excited, so we're really too. hopeful oh, they take good. forever so it's going to be a long ride but we're right. really excited right. about the opportunity yeah they got a couple other things on their plate yeah. right now i guess you know <laughs> yeah, just a few just a just few, a few, just a few. Yeah. well look Lori, i really really appreciate it uh really appreciate you taking the time and and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us today and um you know i uh just wish you all the best and uh you know i'm i'm here for you if you you never ever need anything um don't hesitate Same. to reach out <laughs> and uh look forward to our coffees in the future and um Uh, Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Brian, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.